0: Historically, running for president requires overcoming a gauntlet composed of prior bad acts, positions you've evolved, votes that are now regrettable, and friendships which now appear unsavory. It's all the more remarkable then that Bernie Sanders has had such a long career that he can run on rather than run away from. You probably already know that Bernie has been fighting for the rights of others since he was a teenager. In 1963, as an undergraduate at the University of Chicago, Bernie Sanders became a leader of the school's chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE. CORE was one of the leading activist organizations in the early years of the American Civil Rights Movement. And Bernie led his chapter in protesting housing segregation, police brutality, and other racial inequalities, getting arrested at age 21, And a picture which you've probably seen, but which Bernie didn't even know existed until it was unearthed during the 2016 presidential race. But his advocacy didn't stop there. In 1972, a year before Roe v. Wade, Bernie told Vermont's Biddington Banner newspaper that a woman's choice of what to do with her body should be exclusively between her and her doctor. Not a bunch of predominantly male legislators. By contrast, nearly a decade later, another elder statesman in this race voted to let states overturn Roe v. Wade. While others in this race had not yet chosen to engage meaningfully in politics, in the 1980s, Bernie backed Burlington, Vermont's first ever gay pride parade and created the Burlington Community Land Trust, which became a model for promoting affordable housing all around the country. Before the term climate change had even been coined, much less accepted as scientific consensus, Bernie was sounding the alarm.
1: We face, as all people know, an ecological crisis in our time, whether it's acid rain, the destruction of the ozone layer, the greenhouse effect. One would think that the CBS's and the NBC's of the world will be doing primetime specials on these programs, having different scientists talking about the issues, involving people and in understanding what's going on in terms of our planet. Records matter.
0: Not because they absolve politicians of demonstrating contemporary commitment to the issues Americans care about, but because they tell us about judgment and dedication to principle. Certainly, it's better to evolve than to not evolve on issues. None of us is perfect. But Bernie has shown a remarkable amount of foresight, a tendency to do the right thing when it matters, when It's unpopular. A person's record also tells us where a leader's priorities lie and what they will push for when they're in office without the pressure of an electoral contest behind them. And at a time when many presidential candidates have only recently shifted left, a politician's record tells us who, to be frank, is the real deal. I've often wondered if Perhaps because Bernie's record is so uniquely solid, his detractors have taken to arguing that, sure, he might have been on the right side of history, but what has he really accomplished?
1: What the hell has he done for the little people? What jobs is he created?
0: For me, Bernie was a really interesting candidate mm. who couldn't get stuff done. Bernie Sanders is basically um, promoting ideas that cannot happen unless you really did have a revolution. That's why, today, I've resolved to put it into this bad faith attack once and for all. If you've ever wondered if Bernie's ever managed to, quote, get stuff done, buckle up. Because this week, I sat down with Bernie's senior policy advisor, Warren Gunnels, a.k.a. the chief of receipts, to set the record straight. This is Hear the Burn, a podcast about the people, ideas, and politics that are driving the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign and the movement to secure a dignified life for everyone living in this country. My name is Brianna Joy Gray, and I'm coming to you from campaign headquarters here in Washington, D.C. Now, a podcast that covered Bernie's entire record would run to dozens of hours. But here's a quick best of list before we get to Warren's interview. In 1999, Bernie worked with thousands of IBM workers to restore $320 million in pension benefits that IBM management tried to
1: cut. This meeting is being held because dozens and dozens and dozens of you have contacted my office to express your anger, your disappointment, and your feelings of betrayal.
0: That same year, Bernie led trips of Americans across the border to Canada to purchase prescription drugs, highlighting this country's unaffordable drug prices.
1: And on that day, I will not forget the shock on their faces when they purchased tamoxifen, which is a widely prescribed breast cancer drug, for one-tenth, one-tenth of the price that they were paying in the state of Vermont.
0: A day after Veterans Day, it is timely to note that Bernie worked with Republican John McCain to pass the 2014 Veteran Health Care Bill which provided over $16 billion to overhaul the VA, including hiring more doctors and nurses, a bill so good that Trump often takes credit for it. We passed VA Choice. VA Choice for the veteran. Bernie has successfully pressured Amazon to pay 350,000 workers at least $15 an hour via his Stop Bezos Act. He wrote and helped to pass the Yemen War Powers Resolution, to end U.S. involvement in the disastrous war in Yemen.
1: It's a big deal because for the first time since 1973, we have used the War Powers Act to in fact stop a horrific war.
0: Bernie expanded primary health care to 9 million Americans by expanding community health centers, securing $12 billion in funding under the ACA.
1: By increasing federal funding, our bill will allow more than 5 million Americans to receive the primary health care they need each and every year.
0: And he forced the first-ever audit of the Federal Reserve, which revealed $16 trillion in secret loans used to bail out American and foreign banks during the recession. And it's not just what Bernie has done, but what he's opposed to. Exercising judgment, which just can't be taught. Bernie voted against the Discriminatory Defense of Marriage Act, He opposed NAFTA, just cost this country hundreds of thousands of jobs. He opposed the Patriot Act and the Iraq War. In fact, both Iraq Wars. And he has argued against mass incarceration since at least the early 90s and opposed ending Pell Grants to prisoners. But don't just take my word for it. Few people know more about Bernie's record than his senior policy advisor. So without further delay, Bernie's 2020 chief of receipts Warren Gunnels. There's a reason why you're called the chief of receipts. And yes. and the reason is that when people have questions about Bernie Sanders' record, right. when they have thoughts and feelings and some people want to cast aspersions and say, well, Bernie hasn't really done anything. What has Bernie been up to all of those years in politics? You are the one who is reliably there to set the record straight. So we wanted to have you on the podcast today to really lay down the law, really make the the record clear for any who would come asking going forward.
2: All right. That sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: Let's do it. Now, I want to start by just asking you, like, how long have you known the senator? How long have you been in his orbit?
2: Yeah. So I first started working for Bernie on June 15th of 1999. Oh, uh, yes. the receipts start oh, yeah, The receipt started already. Yeah. I got a receipt for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my pay stub. You can check it out. Love it. <laughs> uh, I was working for uh, Senator Tom Harkin from Iowa. There was uh, Defense LA that had worked for Congressman DeFazio for Oregon for a while. And he said that, well, there's this congressman from Vermont. He caucuses with the Democrats, but he is an independent. His name is Bernie Sanders. He's looking for a legislative assistant. Mm -hmm. So I had an interview with Bernie back in June of uh, 99, and he he mentioned, I think— well, how do you feel about labor unions? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, I think unions are really the backbone of the American economy. That's that's a backbone of, for the middle class. I gave Bernie some of the work that I did for Senator Harkin going against Alan Greenspan. Uh, luckily enough for me, he he gave me a call. I think a few days later and asked me to come on uh, board his House office and. Uh started working for him as a legislative assistant.
0: So so pro tip to get a job with Bernie Sanders, yes. you take on the establishment and you talk up unions.
2: That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. how you T- get a job from Bernie notes. Sanders. Yes.
0: <laughs> All right. So like do you remember first impressions temperamentally? Did you have thoughts and feelings about, oh, am I going how am I gonna work with this guy? And yeah. how much do you think he's that impression has changed now that you've known him for 20 years.
2: Oh, I mean, I wanted to work for a congressman who was very active in fighting uh, for an economy that works for all of us, mm. uh, not just the people on top. Yeah. I had been going up against Alan Greenspan. And I don't know, if you know, Alan Greenspan, he was the longtime chair of the Federal Reserve. Didn't matter if you were a Democrat or a Republican in Congress. Most of them you know, kissed Alan Greenspan's <laughs> feet. They thought whatever he said was was the way it should be mm. in life. I didn't like that. Yeah, I knew he had this Ayn Rand uh, philosophy. Yeah, of total deregulation, massive tax breaks for the wealthy, and that's how you will expand the economy because everything will trickle down. Yeah, and Bernie, of course, understood that. He he never bought in to Alan Greenspan for one second, and. After I started working for him, Bernie got Greenspan to admit that he wanted to abolish the minimum wage. Wow. And so, <laughs> so this is like- this How did is you like, get him yeah. to
0: admit that? Is that on yeah. tape? Well, he's or?
2: just- Oh, yeah. It's, sure, it's on tape. Huh. Uh, you, know, you go back to the hearings that Bernie had, really the banking committee hearings that Bernie had questioning Alan Greenspan. He just asked him straight out- Alan Greenspan, do you believe in the concept of the minimum wage? And he kind of hemmed and hawed. And he said, no, if I had my druthers, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. no, there would be no minimum wage in this country. And so I just don't understand. If If you're a Democrat, how could you believe in the gospel of Alan Greenspan when he wants to abolish the minimum wage? He wants to deregulate big banks. And he wants these massive tax breaks for the rich. Uh, so
0: so now, you know, especially post 2008, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our norms, what we, ex- you know, the, the settled expectations um, in the financial realm have shifted dramatically. Mm-hmm. And now since 2016, since Bernie Sanders' run, our expectations of what we think is should be the status quo as a society, both with respect to how we treat finance and how we treat each other more broadly, have changed radically. But what was it like to be in the trenches in the 90s and the early aughts?
2: Yeah. During those times in in the House days, Bernie was a master at forming left-right coalitions Mm. to pass amendments to help the working people of this country. So one of the first big tasks that I had working for Bernie was – in 1999, IBM was Vermont's largest private employer. Hmm. And they had just announced that they were going to be making changes to their pension benefits. And they were kind of touting this is, this is a great thing for the workers at IBM They'll get these wonderful benefits. We're going to change it from a traditional defined benefit plan. They made up this name, uh, this cash balance plan. It sounds like you're going to get all of this cash. Well, IBM workers are very smart. Mm. They know how to do numbers. <laughs> so they took a look at the new plan, and they, they they found out that for older workers, it would amount to about a 50% cut to their pension benefits. Wow. And these are, you know, I mean, very conservative workers making decent wages. and But at any rate, when they saw that the IBM management wanted to cut older workers' pensions by about 50%, they came to Bernie Sanders. They called, and they called, and they called to complain about what IBM was doing to their pension benefits. If you know Bernie, <laughs> if the phone starts ringing off the hook with a bunch of workers that are about to get their pensions cut by 50%, That is what Bernie will focus on and uh, said, look, Warren, we got to do something about this. We can't let older workers that have been working for a company for 20 or 30 years at IBM see their pension benefits cut 50%. Yeah. So we we did this legislation, introduced legislation to protect their pension benefits, saying that, look, if you wanted to have a choice, you you could have a choice. If you wanted to take their new uh, cash balance benefit plan, you could choose that. You wanted the traditional defined benefit plan. You could keep that, and so we did that legislation. But with most members of Congress, they get these calls uh, from workers. They'll introduce a legislation, maybe they might write a letter to the CEO, maybe
0: mm-hmm.
2: they may do a press release on. Oh, I wrote to the le- uh, the CEO of some company saying. Please, 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 can you protect these workers? They're complaining they they don't like what they're getting, but Bernie's not like that and, and, and after that, and so it's it's all about that, you know, so we did write letters, mm-hmm. we did introduce legislation, we did do amendments, but we didn't stop there. Most members of Congress, after they introduced the legislation, well I, I introduced legislation, see, right. I got this legislation. The Republicans are in control of Congress. they're not going to allow this legislation to pass. I tried my best. Right. That's not Bernie. Bernie got a town hall meeting in St. Michael's College in August of 99. We got CBS Nightly News Mm -hmm. to be there. We got the New York Times to cover it. When we're going to the town hall meeting in uh, Bernie's car, we get to the parking lot and we couldn't find a parking space. Bernie's like, what are all of these cars doing here? <laughs> and, and Phil Firmonti, he was one of Bernie's longtime aides, he said to Bernie, Bernie, I think they're here to see you, <laughs> to complain about IBM's pension benefits. So there were well over 800 people in a very small auditorium at St. Michael's College to protest IBM's pension cuts.
0: Wow.
1: I had invited Lou Gerstner uh, who is as you know the CEO of IBM to be with us tonight in fact we 've left a chair for Lou so, it, uh... so if you if you hear a helicopter buzzing abroad clear the way and Lou's on his way but
2: it was the largest town hall at the time I think in the modern history of the state of Vermont <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> CBS covered it New York Times had a big page of all it was like it looked like a sea of people at this town hall meeting, IBM workers complaining. And then uh, Bernie, was the first time I, I believe that he bought shares of IBM stock, bought five shares of IBM stock so he could go to the IBM stockholders meeting mm-hmm. and protest these cuts right in the face of IBM's CEO, Lou Gerstner, mm-hmm. now, Lou Gerstner. As the time they were cutting these pension benefits of ordinary workers, he got this huge pension benefit, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of of dollars for himself. But he was uh, deciding to cut these workers' pension benefits by 50 percent. So Bernie traveled to the stockholder meeting in Cleveland to protest with the workers. We did amendments in a Republican Congress we, got, we worked with a Republican congressman from Minnesota. His name is Gil Gutnick. Okay. He, at first, very right-wing Republican congressman, didn't want anything to do with us. Mm-hmm. He had a town hall meeting of his own that the IBM workers in his district forced him to have. He didn't want to have it. Interesting. And so they told him that when he asked, well, what do you want me to do about this? we want you to work with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders has a bill that will protect our pension benefits. And he said, Bernie Sanders, do you know, he's a socialist. (laughs) I don't want to work with Bernie Sanders. And the IBM workers in response, that wasn't there, but this is what they told me. They said, I don't care if Bernie Sanders is purple and is from Mars. <laughs> he has got a bill that will protect our pension benefits. He is fighting for us. We want you to stand with Bernie Sanders mm. to try to get this legislation through. And and so he did. Wow. So he did. He started working with us, and he was a major ally. We got an amendment passed that essentially said – IBM shall not discriminate against older workers in their pension benefits, Hmm. that those pension benefits, and it wasn't just IBM, there were a number of other companies that were doing the same thing. Uh, But IBM was was our big focus. Right. And so we ended up in a Republican Congress winning that amendment. And that really helped because the IBM workers, they were launching a lawsuit against IBM for committing age discrimination uh, Mm. against the older workers. And once we passed that in a Republican Congress, there was about a week later, IBM settled with the IBM workers. So 130,000 IBM workers were able to regain $320 million in pension benefits. See,
0: that's extraordinary. In part because of how it predicts the legacy that was to come, right? Right. How much it predicts what Bernie Sanders has done with Amazon workers and the Stop Business right. Act and how much it yeah. predicts what he's done with Walmart workers, right? And the fact that that history, people have the temerity to downplay it right? or to pretend that being known as the Amendment King is some kind of almost like a smear, like right. why just an amendment, right? right? Like, can you help us to understand how passing legislation works and what it means to be able to get things done by using both amendments and by using the pressure of the people. Because he's talked about doing that a lot right now as well, going to Mitch McConnell's district, having town halls, Mm -hmm. forcing people who are not ideologically aligned Mm -hmm. to do what they should do because their actual constituents demand it. Why is that so important given how Congress works and how difficult it is to get things passed otherwise?
2: Well, it's extremely important. It's both an inside the beltway strategy, but you can't just leave it inside the beltway. It's mm-hmm. got to be outside the beltway. If IBM workers never decided to pick up the phone and call Bernie Sanders' office, mm-hmm. their pensions would have been cut by 50%. If all Bernie did was just introduce legislation and drop a pet press release, saying that this legislation will protect their pensions and did nothing else. The IBM workers probably would have had their pensions cut by up to 50%. Right. But it was working together. It was working together to have the IBM workers get on the phone, contact Bernie's office. Bernie then introducing legislation holding town hall meetings going to the IBM stockholders meeting working from with IBM workers not just in his own state of Vermont where he represents but finding out where do these other IBM workers live mm. to find out where the strong uh, where, where some of the big pockets of IBM workers are in republican districts and then reaching out to those IBM workers to say We held a town meeting in Vermont. We got over 800 people Mm -hmm. uh, and we were getting Senator Leahy and Senator Jeffords on our side at that time. Why don't you get a whole bunch of IBM workers in your district and hold a town hall meeting in one of the most conservative Republican districts? Well, the congressman was one of the most conservative in Congress. Get him to say, you need to work with Bernie Sanders. You need to work with this on this legislation. You need to tell the CEO of IBM that it's unacceptable for him to get hundreds of millions of dollars in pension benefits in a compensation package while he's turning around and slashing his workers' pension benefits. And then it's also going through the courts, you know, saying, mm-hmm. look, what happened here was age discrimination, pure and simple. Yeah. So, launch a lawsuit against IBM for committing age discrimination. So, it was a multifaceted strategy. Uh, And then, of course, we got the media. It was like, you know, Mm -hmm. we we wanted to make sure look, New York Times, are you going to cover this? We got, you know, 800, 850 IBM workers that are upset that their pensions are being cut. CBS Evening News, will you cover this? Right. And, you know, work. So it was all of that strategy. It wasn't just dropping a bill. It wasn't just writing a letter. It wasn't just having a meeting. All of those different elements were involved to succeed. And some people will say, "Oh, well, Bernie Sanders didn't do that. It was the IBM workers." You can't say that uh, that's something that Bernie Sanders accomplished. It was the IBM workers. Yeah, not me. Us. Right. It was. <laughs> it was everybody right. working together on a mission to protect the pensions of workers that's 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 what bernie's movement is right. all about
0: so when we're talking about this idea of like Bernie Sanders as an organizer in chief. You know, I, I was actually just listening to a podcast from the Vox family. Somebody says, you know, Bernie, you know, Bernie's gonna lose the argument about uh, Medicare for all because he's not a lawyer. He's <laughs> just an organizer. Yeah. Yeah. He's just an organizer. He doesn't know how to get into the technocratic weeds as, as right. other people do. There are people, other technocrats generally speaking, yes. who don't perceive That his organizing strategy, his ability to mobilize people, his uh, ability to construct policies in a way that uh, facilitate the formation of broad coalitions as political strategy. They write that off as somehow not kind of intellectually rigorous or as politically equal Mm -hmm. to those who would focus rather on kind of white papers and a Mm -hmm. more technocratic approach. And it's not that we don't obviously have... The plans, right, right? right? You know more than anyone yes. that we do. That, that but does drive me a little th- crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it must. <laughs> but it's that, it's that and. Mm-hmm. It's that additional component that Bernie has in spades. Right. And that it's absolutely necessary if you actually do want to get things done. Yeah.
2: No, a- a- absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many times Bernie has, has told me, Warren, anybody can write a bill. In Congress, anybody can introduce an amendment. Mm. Anybody can write a press release on this. What is the strategy? I want to win. It's not just IBM. In Amazon, Amazon's case, this is another perfect example of Bernie's accomplishments. Amazon workers came to us. They said, it's outrageous that we're working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, we make wages that are so low that the taxpayers of this country are subsidizing our healthcare through Medicaid. They're subsidizing our housing through you know, Section 8 rental assistance or some other forms uh, of, of housing assistance. We can't even afford to put food on the table, so we're, we're getting food stamps from the federal government that's being subsidized by middle-class taxpayers. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest person in, in the United States, not only like this year, it's like of all time. Right. You know, I mean, at the time, he, I think he had $150 billion. Now, oh my gosh, it's something around $112 billion. But it's an unbelievable wealth. And can you help us out? Can you do something about that? So we introduced this legislation. It was called the Stop Bezos Act. And what we said is, like, if you've got a profitable corporation, large corporation, that are paying workers wages so low that they're on Medicaid, food stamps, mm-hmm. uh, Section 8, public housing, so forth, you have to pay a tax to make sure that you're the ones that are responsible for paying for the, uh, your workers' Healthcare, food, housing, uh, et cetera, et cetera, not middle class taxpayers, and so the goal of that legislation, we knew we're working we're working in a Republican Senate. Mitch McConnell was not going to bring the Stop Bezos Act to the floor of the Senate to get a vote, right? Right. But we wanted to focus on an issue of Amazon paying poverty-level wages at a time when the owner is the wealthiest person in this country. So, yes, we introduced the legislation. All of the policy wonks went nuts. Oh, there are all these unintended consequences of this bill. Oh, no. Oh, you're demonizing people that are on Medicaid and uh, food stamps. And you're you're endangering the food stamp program by coming out with this bill. Because look at, on page five, line eight. It will just have these huge unintended consequences. Are you crazy? You should be doing something else. Bernie Sanders just doesn't understand the legislative process. He doesn't understand all these unintended consequences. And no, that was not, we knew that we were not going to get the Stop Bezos Act into law. But by putting that out there, it got media attention. Mm. The media started to focus on the poverty wages that Amazon workers were being paid. Now, we didn't stop there. We have just a spectacular social media team, right? I mean, you, you know them all.
0: Absolutely. I go through
2: all their needs, <laughs> but it was just not one person. Right. But they had worker after worker after worker to get on camera to right. be filmed to talk about their poverty wages. Those videos that we did, I mean, they, they went viral. Yeah. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people saw those videos. They got a huge number of likes and retweets. They're on Facebook, they're on Twitter. They're all over the place. Then Bernie took it to another level. We had a, a town hall meeting in the Senate, never been done before on uh, income uh, inequality. And we had a worker from Amazon, had a worker from Disney, we had a worker from Walmart, and then uh, we had one, I believe, uh, for American Airlines or a subsidiary of American Airlines, all to talk about how they were making poverty-level wages. Mm -hmm. And then we invited the CEOs, of course, of all those companies Mm -hmm. uh, to come in and to explain... To the, the American people, why they're, all their companies were making these huge profits, but they were paying their workers poverty mm-hmm. level wages. Of course, none of the CEOs Shut decided up. to show up. <laughs> right, you know, Jeff Bezos did decide to show up. We invited Jeff Bezos. That didn't work. But but again, I think well over a million people saw that town hall. It was in the visitor center in, in the Capitol that was broadcast live again putting more and more and more pressure on Amazon and some of these other companies as well. I mean, we have uh, There's a McDonald's worker mm-hmm. there as well. And we're working on this. After all that relentless push and pressure and focusing on the workers, it was the workers that got up and told Jeff Bezos and told their managers that this is just an absurd situation. And then one day it was – I think a few weeks maybe a couple months after we passed the stop or introduced the the stop bezos act that Jeff Bezos announced we've listened to our critics and we've decided to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour uh, effective immediately that would benefit 350,000 workers 350,000 That's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's politics. They don't teach you that in law school. No. No, they don't teach you that in law school.
2: You're absolutely right. So, yeah, maybe there were some unintended consequences on page 5, line 15 of some bill but you know what? it didn't matter
0: because there were some we, very intended consequences yes. on people's paychecks. exactly you got it That's <laughs> right? absolutely right that's absolutely right and so yeah. that, I mean that I think that 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 the story of how Bernie Sanders has worked to wa- raise wages across several different at several different companies at this mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. is exemplifies exactly the kind of power that his presidency will have. Because he's not Absolutely. even, before he's even in office, he's able to leverage his visibility right. and leverage the incredible need and desire from working people in America to have this stuff seen, to yeah. create the crowds, to create the town halls, right. to create the interest, to 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 act as a lightning rod right. for the interests that already exist and mobilize people so that, that they can no longer be ignored. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's a little bit of a celebration going on next door. I think that the organizing team is doing something good, which Absolutely. is always cause for celebration. That's so great. We'll, we'll tolerate a little noise in the background of this podcast to, to know that we're accomplishing big things. Yeah. But I want to ask you, like, for those who are unconvinced by mm-hmm. this kind of argument about the merit of political organizing mm-hmm. and how we should think differently. I think that the, the moral of the story is perhaps we need to start thinking differently about how we measure accomplishment right and you can measure it by how many bills somebody has passed right or you can measure it by how many lives have been changed yep you can measure about things that you've done affirmatively but you uh-huh. can also measure measure it by the judgment that you expressed in the past that enabled you to not vote for, support things that right. history has, time has shown us were in fact incredibly detrimental to Americans and people across the world. Right. So can you give us some instances, more, some of those more traditional instances right. of judgment that Bernie has displayed and other kinds of concrete things that have happened mm-hmm. that are kind of like the best of, in your opinion? right?
2: Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I think what you were, what you're saying is very important. You can judge somebody by the number of bills that they've passed, right? In that perspective, look at all of the major bills that have passed in the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah, Bernie did not accomplish the Iraq War Resolution. Mm. Yeah, that did not have Bernie Sanders' name on it. I don't even know. You can look up who the author of the resolution to go to war in Iraq was. But I can tell you one thing. It wasn't Bernie Sanders. (laughs) And that is a very good thing. Not only did Bernie vote against the Iraq war, he stood up on the floor. He led the effort against going to war in Iraq. And it ended up being the right thing. I mean, we're talking about at a minimum, I think these are conservative estimates, but 165,000 Civilians hmm. died in Iraq. You, know, you had over forty five hundred troops, maybe even uh, four thousand more uh, contractors, military contractors in the United States. They died. You know, thirty two thousand wounded. Yeah. Coming back, wounded. Not only and and God knows how many uh, wounded in spirit. Maybe not in their body, yeah. but they had these traumatic uh, uh, brain injuries. That post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. How many lives did that destroy? And Bernie was getting up, and he was like, "No, you can't do this. This makes no sense." Yeah. He led the effort against the Iraq War resolution. If you want to say, "Oh, Bernie didn't accomplish anything because uh, his name is not on the Iraq War resolution," we plead guilty. <laughs> you know, look at NAFTA. Right. All right. Bernie's name is not on the bill to implement the North American Free Trade Agreement. And that's a good thing. Right. And not only is Bernie's name not on it, not only did he vote against it, he stood up on the picket lines with union workers standing up and saying, no, if NAFTA passes, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not a million jobs being lost, being shut down in the United States, factories closing down. Going to Mexico, where workers are paid a buck, two bucks an hour to do the same thing that workers in Michigan or Ohio were yeah. doing for 20, 25 bucks.
0: And that's a contrast yeah. that Donald Trump ran on and, right. and that he drew with Hillary Clinton that he would not have been able to have drawn to draw with Bernie Sanders. Absolutely. He the nominee.
2: I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at NAFTA, you look at permanent normal trade relations with China. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember this with NAFTA as well, but permanent normal trade relations with China in 99, 2000. Bill Clinton said, oh, this is a hundred to nothing shot in favor of the United States and the United States workers. China will not benefit at all from permanent normal trade relations <laughs> with China. This is all about protecting the United States. And Bernie stood up with the Teamsters at a huge rally in Washington, D.C. I was there. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of workers were saying, no, no. What this is going to do is going to allow huge corporations to shut down factories in the United States, move to China, where workers are paid pennies an hour, and bring back those products into the United States, tariff-free or virtually tariff-free. The corporate CEOs will make huge profits, and the workers will be screwed. Yeah. And that's what happened. We're talking about since the passage of permanent normal trade relations with China, the unfettered free trade agreement with China, 3.4 million Americans lost their jobs. Wow. And Bernie was leading the effort against those unfettered free trade agreements. And no, yeah, I mean, if he did go up against Donald Trump, It was a clear contrast. I mean, Bernie was leading the effort against the Trans-Pacific Partnership at that time, another unfettered free trade agreement. Thank God. And this is a grassroots movement that killed the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But that would have meant uh, uh, making it easier for corporations to set up shop in Vietnam where workers are paid about 65 cents an hour. Mm. Go to Malaysia, where they have a, a huge influx of workers, indentured servants that Aren't even paid anything, mm. and it's one thing to uh, be, have American workers compete against low wage workers. Go you to know, Malaysia; they're competing against no wage
0: workers. Yeah.
2: So you know he was uh, standing up against that, and I think that that is that is the clearest contrast. And you look at this this election coming up. If the Democratic nominee is somebody that has a history of voting for NAFTA mm. and in this year saying, "Oh my gosh." No, it wasn't a wrong vote to vote for NAFTA. That was the right vote. That's the right decision. Oh, China's not eating our lunch. They're not a major competitor. Uh, Vote for permanent normal trade relations with China. That wasn't a bad vote. If that is our nominee going up against Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump just lies. Right. I mean, he lies all the time. He's a pathological liar. Right. I mean, he acts like, oh, Uh, You know, I'm against NAFTA. I'm against all these unfettered free trade agreements. But you look at his record. Last year, we had a record-breaking trade deficit in in goods. Our trade deficit with China was up by hundreds of billions of dollars last year. Our trade deficit with Mexico last year was up. And then you look at the contracts that Donald Trump has awarded to large corporations. Turns out he has provided over $50 billion in contracts to some of the largest outsourcers of American jobs. And one of them, of course, we all remember General Motors. I mean, they shut down the Lordstown plant. Bernie had a big town hall uh, with those uh, Lordstown workers. General Motors shut down that plant. And Donald Trump said, oh, you don't have to worry about your uh, selling your house, keep your house. I'm president, we're going to keep that Lordstown plant open. Well, it's shut down, and what did General uh, Donald Trump do? He didn't protect those workers' jobs. He rewarded General Motors with over $700 million in federal contracts. <sighs> Bernie's not going to do that. Right. When Bernie is president, he's going to sign an executive order to tell companies that if they want these huge federal contracts, they cannot ship jobs overseas, and they got to bring the jobs they outsourced back into the United right, States. Right, right. We want, we want to be providing contracts to employers that are doing the right thing by their workers, not shipping their jobs to low-wage countries.
0: Right. So, Moreover, yeah. we're getting uh, workers uh, more of a voice on corporate boards by- Absolutely. Actually enabling them to vote and participate in the process, decision-making process right. when it comes to deciding whether or not it's, they're going to pursue raw profits or try to keep the jobs there for their family. Right,
2: right, right. So that's, that's that's big. Yeah. So 20% of the stock of large corporations are going to go into the hands of the workers instead of these wealthy shareholders and uh, corporate executives. We're going to put 45% of workers on the board of directors. So you got 45% of the workers on the board of directors. You got 20% of the stock going directly to the workers. Well, when workers have more of a stake and a say in the companies they own, they're not going to ship their own jobs to China. They're not going to ship their own jobs to Mexico. They're not going to put up with a situation where their workforce is making poverty wages while the corporation is making billions in profits. They're not going to be spending Billions and billions and billions of dollars on stock buybacks right. while their workers are, are living in poverty. No, right. these corporations are going to be more in tune with the workers and the workers are going to uh, enjoy more of the benefits uh, of the profits. They're actually – they're the ones that are making the profits yeah. for the corporation.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important point because there's a way that we could talk about, oh, Bertie says he's going to go and hold these town halls and go to Mitch McConnell's backyard, right. front yard, whatever, and do all this stuff. And you might say, okay – well, anybody can do that. And I've heard, and, and I won't name their names, but another uh-huh. candidate in this race recently start saying that exact same thing. Like fully yeah. just lifted from Bernie Sanders saying, well, I'll go to so-and-so's house and I'm going <laughs> to hold a rally and that's how I'm going to get things done. Uh, yeah. But I think what's important to note is what enables... Bernie to do that. Mm-hmm. What enables him to be able to galvanize the people in support of, of him mm-hmm. is that the underlying policies that he's proposing, the underlying solutions that he's proposing right. are so people-centered. Absolutely. It only works, you can, you can motivate people to show up in Mitch McConnell's front yard, when you're saying, hey, I'm about to put 40% of y'all on the corporate board. Mm-hmm. I'm about to give right. you, you know, a 20, 20% share of stock, you know. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I literally double your wages almost with a $15 minimum wage, right? Right, right. That is the kind of thing that can motivate folks and saying, I think, you know, You're going to get maybe XYZ tax credit, or Mm -hmm. we're going to give this percentage to you. We're going to cut your, you're going to forgive your student debt, but only if you work in this field for this many number of years and only up to this point. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing doesn't translate. Right. Right. And so it's a combination of being people focused in your agenda. Yes. And also having a strategy that requires that commitment and support from the people. It's a two pronged approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, this is. Bernie Sanders MO.
2: You've got to have a clear agenda. We're going to make public colleges and universities tuition-free, and we're going to cancel all student debt, and we're going to pay for it by tax on the same uh, speculators on Wall Street that destroyed the economy 11 years ago. Right. All right. Everybody can understand that. Yep. We've got the legislation on that, but it's not just Oh, we're going to write the legislation. I'll hold a press conference in the Rose Garden. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, all these pundits on uh, MSNBC and CNN saying, oh, it'll never happen. And then you have these recalcitrant senators that say, oh, I'm just going to block this. We're not going to hold any hearings. There you go. End of story. And then we'll move on to the next piece of agenda. Oh, well, we tried. I sent the legislation <laughs> to the Senate. I sent the legislation to the House. They didn't act on it. I tried my best. Right. That's that's the situation that we have now. It's not the situation that we'll have when Bernie Sanders is president. He won't allow it. He's going to go to every state. He'll go to every college campus if he has to. <laughs> and not only that, it's not like Bernie Sanders going to the college campus. He's like, OK, I'm at your college campus. But on March 15th, I'm going to get Chuck Schumer, whoever the majority leader of the Senate is. I'm going to get Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, whoever the Speaker of the House is. and I'm going to say, you've got to schedule a vote on March 15th to make public colleges and universities tuition-free to cancel student debt. I got to pay for it in here. We're going after the Wall Street speculators. And by the way, on that same day, we're going to get a million students... To come out to Washington, and we're going to tell you, leaders of the Republican and Democratic Party in Congress,
0: look out the window. That question of the pay-for right. is one that we get a lot in mm-hmm. uniquely. Mm-hmm. And you know when it first started bubbling up again over the last couple of weeks, I said, "Let me go to this. Let me go to this website. I'm gonna I'm All gonna right. read this damn bill. All right, I'm so good. sick and tired of this." And I pulled it up, and I got to tell you, as you know, it is lengthy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the actual yeah. Medicare problem. bill. I was like, "All right, it's hundred on. pages." This is not my approach right yes. now. This is not the best way to do this. Right. Right. Um, so I want to ask you as somebody who was in there writing writing this this damn bill who has been in there since the since the jump what do you make of this this focus on the pay for that seems to be uneven let's say all right um and and what do you say to folks that say that pretend you know Bernie Sanders isn't as detailed Bernie Sanders yeah. hasn't figured out all the I need right. a, somebody wonkier to take us through this process
2: okay all right, so so Medicare for All. First of all, it's a 100-page bill. It's very detailed. Since the last campaign, we have been providing a menu of options on how to finance Medicare for All. But the first thing that you have to understand is we are the only major country on Earth that does not guarantee health care as a right to all people. So we've got 87 million Americans uninsured and underinsured. Mm. And then step two. Well, okay. Well, so we don't uh, guarantee healthcare is right. We must be spending a lot less money than all these other countries on a per capita basis that have figured out how to provide universal healthcare. All. That must be what it is. All of these other countries, yeah, they're providing healthcare to everybody, but it's really a heck of a lot of money. They're spending a heck of a lot more money than we are, and that's absolutely false. When you look at it, we're spending over twice as much per person on healthcare as the average developed country. We're spending over twice as much as Canada, Britain, France on healthcare. They're providing healthcare to everybody. We're leaving 87 million Americans uninsured and underinsured. Don't tell me we can't figure out how to guarantee healthcare is a right to everybody and do it in a much more cost-effective way than we're currently doing it. So Medicare for All starts out, it's a single-payer healthcare system. You get everybody on the same health insurance program. You have the biggest pool possible. That's going to cut down on the administrative expenses. You're not going to have hundreds or thousands of different private health insurance plans to figure out, oh, this one's got a $5,000 deductible. This one's got an $8,000 deductible. This one covers that. This one doesn't cover that. Right. No, everybody's going to get universal comprehensive health care. It's going to be much more cost effective. So we start off, we're going to provide better health care at a lower cost. It's going to be much cheaper than our current system. If we do nothing, we're going to spend over $50 trillion mm-hmm. over 10 years. This will save According to conservative estimates, $2 trillion. More progressive estimates, $5 trillion over 10 years. Mm. So we've got a menu of options. Nobody's going to be paying premiums, deductibles, or copayments. And then we're going to fund it in a progressive way based on the ability to pay. You can look at several studies from the Citizens for Tax Justice. You can look at the Rand Corporation. You can look at a number of other studies. What they've sh- shown is if you enact Medicare for All, middle-class families are going to save thousands of dollars a year compared to what they're spending now. They're going to be getting better care because we're going to be providing dental care. We're going to be providing mental health care. We're going to be providing eye care and vision care and hearing aids.
0: And just a- yeah. When we say that we're going to pay for something in a progressive way, mm-hmm. what we mean is to say that people who have more money pay more. That's right. And people who have less money pay less. Yes. Because there are ways, you know, some people talk about like a flat tax or R- VAT. Uh,
2: or a head tax. Or
0: a head tax, right? right? Which says, well, if everyone's paying the same amount, what that means is that amount is going to impact poor people much, much more than yes. it impacts Wealthier people, and we call right. that a regressive. Yes. I'm sorry to be so basic, no, but a lot very of people regressive. don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, No, if you just say okay, uh, every uh, all corporations and businesses are going to pay head tax, and it's going to be the same amount, no matter if you're making fifteen thousand dollars a year or if you're making four hundred thousand dollars a year, and we'll say like right now, the head tax is ninety five hundred dollars. So you got a ninety five hundred dollar head tax on somebody that's making 15000 So it costs $9,500 for healthcare for a worker that's making $15,000, probably a part-time worker. Yeah. Then you have a lawyer making $400,000. It will cost the same 9500 for the $400,000 worker versus the one that's just making 15000 So that is extremely regressive. We don't do that. Right. Every option that we propose... The wealthiest people in this country, they're going to be paying a hell of a lot more in taxes to finance Medicare for all. But low-income, middle-income workers will be seeing uh, what economists, these economists, Manuel Sayes, Gabriel Zuckman from the University of California, Berkeley, they wrote an op-ed in The Guardian saying essentially that Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all plan is financed in a progressive fashion. That would lead to the largest increase in take-home pay in a generation mm. for most workers, mm. and that's what this is all about.
0: So, I, I really appreciate you coming, hmm. talking about white papers, bringing the literal receipts.
2: <laughs> yeah, know, don't, don't read my watching. handwriting. My handwriting is
0: horrible. <laughs> and we didn't even get through yeah. all of these, but we will. Yes. We will try to summarize them um, at the top of the episode and do some bullet point rapid That'd fires. Be because the the truth is that. The idea that Bernie Sanders has somehow been resting on his laurels, yeah. the last forty years of his life is nothing short of a why. Well, yes, you know it, it
2: drives me nuts. <laughs> <And>
0: that's <laughs> that's why they call you the chief of yeah. receipts, and I'm so glad you were able to take the time to join us today. All thank right. you so much for all that you do. Well, thank
2: and, you. And <laughs> and you've been doing everything. a spectacular job. I love <laughs> these podcasts.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate it. and We'll have to have yeah. you back on. All right. Thanks all right. a lot.
2: So what's your impression of uh, Senator Sanders? He's amazing. He would, he, he would come into our office, but he would come down the hallway in our office, a big thing under his arm, and be like, oh, Bernie's read everything again. <laughs> a real quick story. He came into my office, and he had an amazing idea for cost of living to increase to help seniors instead of the, of the ridiculous way we do it. And he went all through, and I said, Bernie, I said, that's, that's amazing. I, I'm on the bill.
1: He said, no, no, no. This isn't about pride of authorship, I remember his words. No, I, wa- I want to pass this. You take the bill. That's Bernie Sanders.
0: That's it for this week. Let us know what you think at hear the burn at bernie sanders.com. Or send us a tweet with the hashtag HearTheBurn. If you haven't already, please take a moment to rate, review, or like us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you're listening. As always, transcripts will be up soon. Till next time.